So, Berto, I went to Havana, Cuba last week, and I wanted to talk about it with you because I haven't really processed it all yet. What do you say? Was Colombia not good enough for you? What? <laughs> you cheating on me? <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Umberto, who are you? Can you do so in Spanish? Mi nombre es Humberto Castañeda, y yo trabajo en pianos que no tienen cuerda. So I went to Havana. Uh, my my friend uh, over the summer came. He's he he. I grew up with him. He was uh, you know Chris Huber. Yeah. He, he was the drummer in my We've band. We jammed with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he he. I, we met actually in band. He he was a like he played the triangle. Oh nice. <laughs> and I played trumpet. And then later on in high school, he played drums in jazz band, and I was a tenor in in the jazz choir. Man, I, I never, I never could understand being in a band. Like it's one thing if you're in a band and you're like the lead violin and you're playing like the whole damn time, but all these instruments, like the triangle, you're sitting there, bar after bar, bar after bar, and every now and then, ding ding, bar after bar, bar after bar. That seems horrible. Yeah, well, it's not. It doesn't stroke your narcissism. No, not at all. Well enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can just imagine you like you just. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then after high school, um, we he went to Wazoo Washington State University, which is Aww. which is like five hours away, and I went to UW. I'm sorry, which is in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. Is he okay now? Yeah. So we only saw each other occasionally and in the summer. And when he would come back to Seattle, we'd start up the band again. And oh, we started a band in late high school too. So the first band I was in. Nice. And um, and then after he graduated, we and he came back to live in Seattle. We went full on uh, band, band you know, situation. And um, just to give you a sort of point in time. Uh, Harvey Danger, you know the band. Uh, right. Da 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 da. Coming da coming to get me. I'm on a sound of gun at me. A da 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 better to see if I could do. I'm not sick, but I'm not well. Cause I that's anyway. So that band was playing with us at this really shitty bar in Seattle, and no one was coming to their show, and I felt really bad we felt really bad for uh -huh. them so we actually went into the audience and like cheered for them and um then we sort of took them under our wing and they would open up for us oh man <laughs> and they even played in my bedroom at a at like a house party that we had in ballard and um so that just kind of gives you a little sense right. of the the time so you're in the scene yeah yeah like a sex machine yeah um it was like on the coattails of Soundgarden and Nirvana right. and all that kind of stuff. And, but anyway, um, so, so my friend Chris Huber comes up from Florida, he's visiting Seattle and he mentions that he's been to Cuba a bunch of times and he's going again. And okay. it's, and it's just a short flight. It's like an hour from Orlando. Right. And I'm like, Oh man, I, I tagged along with Berto to <laughs> Columbia. Like I love tagging along. This is the best. This is the new thing. <laughs> I don't have to plan anything. Right. Because uh, he speaks Spanish. And oh, okay. Because his wife is uh, Mexican, uh, Mexican-American. I didn't remember that. Yeah. Her name's yeah. Lita, actually, too. She's another oh. another Lita. But uh, so I decided to go with him. And the interesting thing was whenever I would say I was going, in fact, people have contacted me 
it's like, how did you get to Cuba? Everyone thinks that like, one, it never opened, which right. it, it did, you know. You have to take a rowboat and snuggle right. yourself or something. Or you, have to go to, <laughs> think you're... or you have to go to Panama first or something. Sure. Um, and a lot of people think that Trump closed it because I think he threatened. He talked about it, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't actually. He talks about a lot of shit, like yeah. building a wall and all that kind of stuff. Didn't we build it? I thought we... <laughs> We've had a wall. It's a stupid thing. Like, it'd be like... I'm going to, I'm going to build the empire state building in New York city. It's like, there's already one there, you know, <laughs> like I guess you could make it bigger, but there's already a wall between Mexico and the United States. Anyway. Um, you know, I realize the border's long. There's some portions that don't, I've, I've anyway, there's a lot of wall. There's a fair amount of and wall. He closed Cuba, but he did it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you have to have a reason to get a visa to go to Cuba. So you have to like... Oh, so you do need a visa. You can't just um, travel for vacation. Oh. Yeah. You have okay. to have some... So I said I was going for the podcast, right. which is legit because now I'm doing a podcast right. about it. Um, so the first thing I realize as soon as we land is that, uh, you know, get off the plane, go, to the, go through the TSA, and there's men and women working in the airport in Havana. And the first thing I notice is that the women TSA agents or the women staff, they all have really short skirts on, like, 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 and very tight outfits. Okay. Like think Star Trek 1966, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, and their stockings, which they would wear, were like fishnet stockings. Oh, what? Not all of them, but some of them, like fancy fishnet fishnet stockings they're at oh, work it's like boy. it's like 11 in the morning and you know yeah. and i just thought wow that's interesting i mean what do you think about that you're you're latin <laughs> like tell, explain well, that, this to me that's not bogota style okay. <laughs> in bogota everyone's dressed like business casual generally uh so that's uh, yeah that's surprising yeah Right, so just a... I, I, sorry, it reminds me more of like Rio de Janeiro or something. Okay, I don't Not know. Not that I've been there, but I imagine Carnival. Well, it, it, so this was all over Havana, okay. which is that there's, there's a, you know, they're kind of... One, from correct me if I'm wrong, but I hear this from women from Latin America. They will say there's a lot of traditional uh, gender politics. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of machismo. Right. And women have to be women. And the men have to be men. Yeah. And the uh, Cuba situation, I think, is even more pronounced. Sounds like it. For some reason. And and so uh, the women, I, and I couldn't really, I had no, I have no idea, were the women voluntarily? Because in Havana itself, people are dressed the way they want to dress. Yeah. And the women tended to dress extremely uh, revealing. Wow. You know, like, like very tight. Men and women wore very tight outfits. Uh-huh. But w- the women's outfits were extremely um, revealing. Wh- is, when is our trip to Cuba again? Huh? When is our next trip to Cuba? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I couldn't tell if this was a patriarchy thing or a sexual yeah. liberation thing for themselves. No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> but I did see this one thing um, when I was flying out. At the airport, I was uh, sitting down, just kind of waiting for my flight. And there are outside of so one thing is the security. At it's not really quite the same. So I uh-huh. could I could see the tarmac pretty easily, just right beyond this one window. 
and there's these um, women sitting. Uh, they look like they're on a break and they're just chatting. They're TSA or airport people, mm. airport women. Three of them are chatting and they're talking. And this janitor guy comes by me. I'm in this room kind of all by myself. I, I could have been the only one in the room. So the janitor guy kind of walks by me and he's pushing his broom mm-hmm. and he kind of looks at me and he gives me this kind of like, you know, knowing look, you know, uh-huh. like he's like, ha ha, how's it going? And he, he walks over to the window with the women uh-huh. and he starts to kind of knock. He's like, you know, knock, knock, knock. And then he kind of looks at me and he's like, okay, okay, just wait, you know? And then, what? <laughs> and then he, and then the, the women aren't, you know, they don't notice. He, he knocks, he does this like probably 10 times. Uh-huh. Knock, knock, knock. The women are completely ignoring him. Uh-huh. I mean, in the beginning, I thought maybe they can't hear him, but he was eventually really knocking. Really knocking. Their, their, their heads are against the window. Right. They're completely ignoring him. Eventually, one of them turns around and is just like, okay, you know, and they kind of like wave him off. He, he, he kind of looks at me. He's like, yeah, you know, like. <laughs> what? I, I got them to, I got them, I got to, them wa- to basically wave at me. Then he goes outside and uh, he he like starts to kind of chat them up, and he's trying he's trying to like well first off you know they greet each other by kissing each other on the yeah. cheek that's that's typical Latin America right so it, so that's pretty intimate in and of itself yeah. so he does and the women seem like they're okay with that but then he starts kind of like I can see him through so I'm watching this whole thing unfold you know yeah and he was seemingly really trying to kind of get something going with uh-huh. them or something. And eventually they kind of turned their shoulder on okay. him. But it just looked extremely awkward and difficult, oh, cr- wow. cringy <laughs> to watch, you know? And, and I just saw like one after another men coming up of various different statuses in the airport. So that's very common in, that, that I can tell in some parts of Colombia, it's similar, not in Bogota, that Bogota people are a lot more reserved they're more, I don't know, introverted or something, or they just don't like, but in the coast and other parts, uh, especially men, they're just hyper aggressive when it comes to approaching women. And I, I don't just mean like aggressive as in like violence aggressive. I just mean they have no filter that they'll just be like, hola mamacita, te ves muy bien hoy. And like, they'll just come up and be like, hey, what's up? Let's get together. And like, you know, yeah. it's, it's a very direct and in, in your face kind of approaches constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to read the body language of the women. Yeah. And I could be reading my, you know, snowflake Seattleite bias could be playing a mm-hmm. role here, but it looked like the women were really not enjoying it. It also looked like the women knew that they had to kind of put up with it. Yeah. Like it, it looked like they, it looked like they had a whole system for dealing with it actually. Yeah. Like, you ignore, 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 right. and then when it happens, you placate it. Yeah. But and there, like, there was one point where one woman was literally pushing one of the men away from her. Jesus. But but she was doing it in a really nice way. Right. Like she was just like, oh okay, okay. <laughs> and then she just kind of gracefully like turns yeah. to indicate like I'm going to continue talking to my friend. I'm right. not rejecting you. Right. I'm just talking to my friend. But it was a pretty clear indication like right. I'm not interested in this right now. Right. Right. And and I was just thinking, uh, w- how hard it would be to be a woman in right. that situation. It's just like this constant. Bro- These three women are just have just trying to have a break during work. They're trying yeah. to have a fucking conversation, and man after man just came by at work. Yeah, you know they're not in a bar or a club. They're sitting at work at like nine in the morning, and they can't have a conversation <laughs> yeah. without dudes just coming up and like 
pushing pushing well, just, their physical bodies on these women. You know? Just thinking about so in a lot of those islands, uh, they were slaves, and the the Europeans had free reign. If you're a woman or a man, what you know, they just had free reign. So your you didn't your body was not your own. Your decisions were not your own. And then when they they freed themselves or were freed eventually. A lot of that culture kind of sticks around for for indefinitely. It seems you know, right? Where and in this case, women have the worst of it. You know, it's yeah. just like right. Yeah, I also think that when you're a man and you grow up in a society that makes it difficult for you to get ahead and feel proud of yourself, mm-hmm. you will resort to other means to feel superior. Yeah. You know, it's like when. A bully bullies because he feels hurt. Yeah. When you feel like crap and someone's putting you down and you don't feel good enough, uh, one strategy is to put other people down. Sure. And if you don't feel like a man and you don't feel like you're earning enough money or you don't feel like you're you know, cool enough, then one way that society will let you uh, assert some power is by uh, you know, being sexually sort of... Uh, in your face to yeah, the women, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I, I, I'm not going to dog on Cuba the whole time, but I, I just had to get that out yeah. there because I just feel like that was one thing that I observed. Now, if we talk to Cuban women, they could be like, no, Kirk, you got it all wrong. It's fine. I like, actually like Cuban men over Seattle men. Seattle men are like such such pussies all the time. Like, <laughs> I'd much rather put up with that and actually have men who uh, actually walk up and talk to me and assert themselves. Right. You know, I hear that. I, and so, you know, I just have to say my, you know, my observations. I did talk to some women um, about things like this, which I'll get into in a second. But the other thing was, was um, they don't have any internet. So they have roaming, which I could have paid hundreds of dollars, <laughs> you know, cause your right. phone is constantly data. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like God knows how much that all costs. So did you just turn your phone off? Basically? Yeah. So I just turned my phone off. Ironically, <laughs> Next week, AT&T is rolling out one of those $10 a day. Oh, no way. <laughs> things. Uh, but uh, so you missed it. Because right. we use that in Colombia. Right. For $10 yeah. a day, right. you get to have full. And I've never done that before, by the way. This is the first time I could enjoy that. I'd never been able to turn my phone on when I wasn't on Wi-Fi. Well, I had it on, but I had it on airplane mode. This time I could actually wander around with internet. Just like Crazy. in Seattle. Right. You have GPS yeah. and Wikipedia and, and traveling with the internet is so much better because you can be yeah. like, you'd be like, what's this? You yeah. know, where am I? You know, all this kind of stuff anyway. Um, and so I was trying to think of the last time I went off grid like that. And I, the last time I was off grid would have been in Japan in 2007. On purpose. Well, imagine, or because you did, also didn't have data. Oh right. yeah, 2007. Right. Duh. <laughs> right. So it's been 11 years yeah. of having the internet within two feet of me, <laughs> and uh, and so it was interesting. Uh, I I dealt with it a lot better than I thought I would actually. Um, it's when I don't have the notifications. Yeah. I don't actually think about my phone very much. Yeah. The one thing I did miss was again having Wikipedia. Totally, and the maps and yeah. No, I, I hear you. I, I was the same way when I when I could turn my phone off. It was it was refreshing in a way, but it is frustrating when you're like, I need to find a why. Like I remember times where I needed to call an Uber. This was like two trips ago, and but I I, I can't. 
because I'm not going to turn off of airplane because it'll immediately start costing me an arm in LA. So I need to like, hey, excuse me, you know, do you have Wi-Fi I could use? You know, like I, I go store to store until finally I could find one, yeah. turn it on, get the Uber. It's just frustrating, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was completely off grid. Yeah. And they don't have Uber in, in no, Q- Cuba. Um, they barely have Wi-Fi, actually. Uh, there were these, some, some, there was like, Super rich restaurants would have would have Wi-Fi maybe, and but do they have free access to the internet? They do. So what okay. what they do is so a lot of people have smartphones uh, now in Cuba. Not everyone, obviously, but many people did. And what you do is you actually have to go to a specific store that sells cards for time on the internet. Oh yeah, yeah. and then you have to then walk to a park that has Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. and then you pay you know you dial in your number and yeah. it's like it's like the old days with minutes on a cell phone or something they do that in in a lot of like colombia has that india has that. a lot of places have that yeah. it's interesting yeah it's like I, I couldn't figure out how much it would cost you know but i think what ends up happening for people is they don't end up using a lot of facebook or anything because facebook you need you know that's something you check while you're on the toilet or something you know? <laughs> it's not something you can only do every now and then right, right? Or or maybe they do. I don't know. But my impression was was that uh, they would use the internet in that way for kind of like important things. You Got know, it. like you have to email mm-hmm. someone or yeah. uh, you have to FaceTime with someone in the States, yeah, family yeah. in the States or something. Now, I know, is, is Cuba still communist? Yeah. But they're not part of Russia, right? Like they were no. part of the Soviet Union. Well, when the Soviet Union collapsed... They broke ties. They broke ties. Yeah, but they if but if Soviet Union was still around, they would still be part of it. From what I understand, okay. But they are communists. Okay. Yeah. Very hot and humid, even for the locals. So I, I was like, oh my god, it's so hot, and I was just dripping with sweat all the time. <laughs> there are particular times when it would get really bad. Um, but uh, I was, so there's fans everywhere. There's like, fans, and our place had AC okay. that kind of worked. Um, but yeah, whenever I got to a fan, I was just like, oh, you know, that sort of heat where you feel like your brain is frying yeah, and you can't yeah. think straight, you yeah. know, it was kind of like that. I mean, when I picture Havana, I always picture everyone's wearing white. There's lots of those, you know, palm tree branches and fans going at all times. <laughs> Havana itself is like Brooklyn. It's okay. like, uh, it's a, you know, concrete wasteland. Okay. You know, I mean, not that Brooklyn's a concrete wasteland, but very urban, yeah, yeah. Uh, non-skyscraper environment. God bless these people if an earthquake ever hits. Oh. Uh, because, so here's the thing, like, I've been watching some documentaries about the history of, there's actually one on Netflix that's pretty good. Oh, wow. It goes like, it's like several episodes and it goes by very micro, you know, mm-hmm. and- from what I can tell, Havana was built mainly in the early 1900s. Okay, when there was the sugar boom. So there was a there was a time when it's a plantation colony, basically. There was yeah, there was a time when the world sugar was supplied by Cuba, yeah. particularly to the United States, and no one had any other substitute, either synthetic or beets or anything. Wow. And so, uh, uh, so in the early part of the 1900s. And uh, throughout the world, like Cuba was just making so much money and there was a lot of investment and there, you know, there was a lot of building, a lot of construction. And then 
after World War One and in through and then you and then you had the stock market crash and all that kind of stuff. There was this massive problem economically, and right. then you ha- then you had World War Two, and then you had uh, you know Fidel Castro like the revolution, basically. Yeah, uh, in the fifties, and and then everything stopped because then because then you have the United States basically embargoing yeah. the Cuba, and the Soviet Union could only help so much, you know, right. or cared to. I don't know. And so the main economic boom was in the early 1900s. And so everything in Havana, every structure, every sidewalk, every road, every um, infrastructure element was probably built in that time and has since only been sort of patched, repaired, kind of. Got it. Um, There were some shopping areas that I thought, this might have been built in the 50s, you know, maybe the 60s. Wow, so everything's... Old. old and dirty yeah. and and broken like everything is broken so like because not only things break over time right. you know things fall apart and because they're they're so poor oh, man. and and they don't even have the materials do you know right. what i mean like it's it's a it's basically because of the united states it's been completely cut off from shipments of things, yeah. you know, not completely, obviously, but at the very least they can't afford things. And right, so, right. so people are completely just improvising. Who do they trade with? China? Honduras? Um, yeah, like, they, they, well, they, they trade with other uh, Latin American countries yeah. and, and you'll see some Chinese things. They, they had a, uh, an af- sort of an affinity with China cause they're another communist country. Right. In fact, they have a tiny little Chinatown and a Chinese um, cemetery, actually, that I saw. Okay. I also saw a monument to Ho Chi Minh, which was interesting. Huh. But, um, but yeah, so uh, everything is pieced together. The hotel, the nicest hotel in Havana, you know, everyone points to, ooh, the, this nice hotel. And, um, well, it's not the nicest hotel, but it's one of the main nice hotels. Yeah. And I go in there. It's apparently where Beyonce and, and uh, Obama stayed when they came okay. to Havana. Um, I go in there and I have breakfast and I have to, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to, I have to go number two. Uh-huh. I'm in Latin America uh, after all. And, uh, I got sick. I'll tell you about that. You mean numero dos. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, one, the male bathroom was closed. And so I asked the guys like, is there another male bathroom? And they're like, uh, they're like, no, no, no. Uh, use the female bathroom. Okay. And I'm like, uh, he's like, he's like, just make sure there's no women in there or something. Okay. And I'm like, okay. So I, so I kind of stand outside and I can tell like some people are in there, a woman, she comes out. I rush in hoping no other women rush, come in there. Yeah. Cause I have to go. Um, one, one toilet has no toilet seat and the other oh, toilet Jesus. does have a toilet seat. Like in Bogota. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and then I, I go, you know, and then. Uh, I realize there's no toilet paper. Oh no! And I check everywhere in the entire bathroom. There's not a single paper. Oh my god! There's not a single paper towel. There's not a single uh, you know shred of toilet paper. I'll spare you the details of my improvised uh, version. Uh, oh I, I'm, man! I managed, but uh, it wasn't pretty. Oh. And that's the nice so hotel. Sorry. That's the nice hotel. That's the nice hotel. That's the nice hotel. Oh man! Uh, no soap. Either like no soap. I, there would be now. I'm not dogging on the Cubans. What yeah. I'm saying is this is evidence of severe poverty. Yeah, like shaving off of of things that you yeah. can't afford. Uh, you know, you're just trying to pay your employees. You don't have money. Man. 
for for this or that. No, no. Um, soap was almost never around. The water um, pressure was almost really low. Was very low. Uh, very a lot of places. And if they did have soap, sometimes it would just be like in a little Dixie cup. Oh like there'd God. just be a little soap, and a it, and soap. you're supposed to just sort of you know what I mean. It was just yeah, like sprinkle. Yeah, it was a lot of improvisation. I could tell. Wow. But anyway, so I. By the way, the 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 no toilet seat and no toilet paper uh, is definitely uh, clearly nowhere near as severe a problem in Bogota. But uh, I got I got caught unaware there too uh, years ago because uh, I go into a bathroom and in many places they steal the toilet seats. So you're like, what? Where's the fucking toilet seat? Oh, I remember you right? telling me that. Yeah, and so you're like, sometimes you have to just squat. But then one time I go in and I'm like, "Fuck is the toilet paper?" And luckily I hadn't gone, but I had to go so badly, and I'm trying to figure out where it is. And and they sold it. They they had a little vending machine outside of the bathroom mm. where you'd have to buy little bits of toilet paper. God, I would have killed for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm imagining. So it's it's really bad. Yeah. But at least it, at least in Bogota you had a little vending machine for the toilet yeah. paper. And then of course in in you know Cuba they follow that practice where you're supposed to put your when you wipe your butt you're supposed to put it in the garbage can. Have you seen that? Oh. Yeah. Oh, I guess I've heard of yeah, some there's, places where they say don't throw the toilet paper in the in the yeah. In the toilet. Yeah, they say put it in the garbage can. But it's called toilet paper. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's oh, take a uh, uh, oh, sorry. break. Yeah, let's take okay. a break and we get back. Let's continue this conversation. What do you say, Berto? Yeah. All right, we're back from the break. So, Berto, I want you to pick a first letter and then we will look at our list of patrons. Okay. And those people, I'll pick three people who have, that is their first letter of their first name, and they have a picture of themselves on Patreon, and they have an address, and I'll send them some swag. So pick a letter, Berto. Okay, K. K, 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 going to K. All right. So we have, we have Katie from San Francisco. Yay. And we have... Is that in Great Britain? Yeah. <laughs> We have Kayla, who needs to update your uh, credit card, by the way. <laughs> I always say that. Shame. <laughs> Shame. Shame. From Snohomish. <laughs> Kayla from Snohomish. Shame. Shame. <laughs> and then we also have, let's see here. I'm trying to find someone else. We have Keith from Keith. Great Falls, Virginia. Keith? Keith. 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 Keith? Keith. Uh, Keith does not have a picture of themselves, but they do have at least a graphic of what looks to be like multiculturalism or something. Okay, not that's quite cool. sure. Yeah. All right. So thank you, Keith, Kayla, and Katie, who are all wonderful K patrons. We will, I'll be sending you some swag. So if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com. That's the way you can show that you love the podcast the most. We're very close to reaching our goal of... Uh, 900 patrons so that we can start a, we, we always give money to charity right? and uh, we've given thousands of dollars to charity as a result of people signing up on Patreon. But I wanted to have another thing that we do, which is to have a scholarship for listeners to the podcast who are maybe needing a little help with their tuition right? Uh, as a way of giving back. And so um, 
hopefully we can reach that goal and sustain it over time. Yeah, so it's very hot and humid in Cuba. Uh, and they use a different currency for the tourists or for guests. So they have they have a currency for the locals. Yeah. And then they have a different currency for people who come and different prices. Okay. So for the locals, things are extreme. What compared to, you know, what I'm dealing with are very cheap prices. Okay. But for people traveling, they have more sort of Western. So they can make more money with that. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. So from what I could tell, it's like at a restaurant, it's still very cheap though for, for, for me to go. Um, but yeah, so if you're a local, so another interesting thing was that there's a lot of taxis everywhere and famously they have those old, old, yeah, you should, you put a picture of the old Chevys or something. Um, yeah, there's Chevrolets, there's Fords, there's, um, Buicks, old Buicks, old Studebakers. And so because the embargo, from what I understand, the, at least American cars stopped coming to Cuba. And also I think there was tourism during the communist or during the, you know, during the 60s, 70s, 80s, but it wasn't Americans. It was people from other, other places. And this culture started to emerge around these old cars and being painted these fancy colors like pink and red and stuff. But over time, the car would break down, right? Mm-hmm. So, so all the all these old uh, Buicks and Chevys and Fords don't have the original engine in it. They've they've swapped the innards, <laughs> yeah, for like a Toyota engine, okay. or something. Yeah. And you know, thank God that those old cars have a gigantic uh, engine, uh, you know, right? You chassis. can fit whatever in there, <laughs> right? But. Uh, uh, but there's taxis of all kinds. You know, the thing I thought I was going to see was like all the cars in Cuba were going to be from the fifties. Sure. But like actually very few were, it's just, those are the ones that stand out. The classics, but they have a lot of the same cars that were in Columbia that you got the Peugeot Chinese. I'm sure you have the, I don't know if I saw Chinese, but I saw a lot of Peugeots, a lot of uh, Renaults Uh like were in Columbia, a lot of MGs, which I didn't expect to see. Yeah. Um, and uh, so just a lot of those kind of little, little cars, little yeah. compact cars that aren't from the States. Um, and uh, so a taxi ride for us would be pretty cheap across town. It'd be like 10 or 15 bucks or something. And you always negotiated verbally before you got in the car. You just yeah. said, I'm going here. And they're like, you know, how much? And the other thing was, was a lot of the taxi drivers didn't, know where we were going. And so there's a lot of time sort of telling people where to go and there's no GPS because mm. no, no one has a cell phone to tell where to <laughs> right. go, you know? Um, but, uh, so it would be about 10, 20 bucks, uh, in American, but for the locals, it would be like 10 cents. Oh, wow. And it would be like a, like a joint share ride where you where you ride with many people and the taxi by law is a, is supposed to pick up anyone who asks them it's like to like a bus. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So a taxi will be going to point A to point B and will pick up people along the way. Uh, so you can get take you could take you a lot longer depending on Right. But yeah. you'll get a ride there. Yeah. Cuz there weren't really that many buses. There were some buses, but okay. um anyway. Lots of bikes? Uh lots of bikes? No. No. There were scooters okay. and motorcycles with sidecars. Oh. Lots of motorcycles. <laughs> Bless you. 
with, with sidecars. Um, the other thing, everyone's outside all the time because it's so hot and, right. and there's not much to do inside. Um, I saw someone watching a Miami Heat game, which was interesting because they can get Florida. Oh, TV stations. Yeah. Right. Right. Because that would be the, I, right. one, of the that makes sense. one of the closest bunny yeah. ear kind of situation. The interesting thing about Havana that I found was that that was totally surprising to me is how much art there is. Oh. I mean, when you think of Havana or Cuba, do you think of like artists? I think of music. You think of music. So yeah. there's a ton of music, which I'll get into. Yeah. But probably more art. Wow. There is like art galleries all over the place, real like underground art. Like I would walk into this really dirty old building, like warehousey kind of place. And there'd be three guys, uh, you know, currently paint lots of active, active painting. Not like these are, this is my collection. It's like, I'm in the middle of making something. You know, it, it doesn't actually surprise me now that I think about it because, um, well, first of all, art and and simple, not simple as in, meaning some kinds of art and some kinds of music are almost free to do, you know? You, you, you don't need a lot of wealth to be able to, to get into painting or get into playing some kinds of instruments and things. And, uh, or, you have, or you, there's an initial kind of investment. Yeah, and then but, you can do it. But then you have that thing right. for a long time. And then you also have more, sadly, or whatever, have more time and reason <laughs> right. to do it. <laughs> right. I think that was a thing that yeah. resonated with me, which is that you have a bunch of people who have no internet access yeah. or the little bit they have. Cause to me it was like, if I just have a little bit of internet access, I'm going to be like, fuck it. No more. <laughs> you know, I would, yeah. I'm guessing a lot of people are just like, nah, I don't really care about the internet, you know? Right. And so it's like, well, how do you, how do you pass the time? Yeah. You know? And what do you do? There's limited availability for creative outlets and, right communities of people to get into the other thing is is there, there are a fair amount of uh tourists who you know might buy something that you that's right that you make and art can sell for a lot of money yeah you know you, you could sell something legitimately for you know a couple hundred bucks yeah and to someone in havana that could be a fortune yeah and if it takes you you know a week to do that, it's like it's a great investment every right time. yeah so i think that was the thing but also i just think there's just a culture of of it seemed to me like culture of just really liking to create mm-hmm. things, you know, Interesting. you're outside, you're not on the internet. Yeah. Um, you just want to like, I just saw a lot of people kind of whittling and right. painting and, you know, putting things together and, uh, and it seemed, I don't know if it's the right word, but it all seemed very folky folk art. Yeah. I mean, you can see the same thing in, in Colombia and all the little towns and, and, and stuff like that. All these artists are, artesanias artisanal like remember we went to the flea market yeah all those little creations all right. everyone like yeah that's a very common thing right yeah so lots of rum and lots of oh c- yeah lots of cigars so i have a box of cigars you here got some cuban cigars uh would i'm gonna bring it over to you here so, I'll- so they're no longer illegal right like right. they're on they're legit now so smell these what are they whoa Smells a little like manure. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, it kind of smells like, like, like manure, like like, manure, like yeah. dirt. But so these are cohibas. Oh, those are supposed to be really great. Yeah, they're supposed to be the best. 
And do you want one, by the way? Do you smoke cigars? I don't smoke cigars. Okay, well, it would then, go to waste with yeah. me. Um, but I'm gonna. I don't smoke cigars. Thank either. you for the offer, though. But I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna give really... give these away to other people who are yeah. more, more deserving. No, no. If they, if, yeah, deserving listeners. If if they can smoke it, go for it. I would just put display it somewhere. <laughs> now, listen. Um, I want to make a a little point here. Uh, it's very tempting because you know listeners out there are like, wow, that place sounds really sketchy in terms of you know how poor it is and all this. And it's really tempting to conclude, well, yeah, you know, communist country, what do you expect, right? But here's the thing. You just described almost every Latin American poor area. Right. You can go to – you are in Bogota. That's the richest part of the country, right? But, but all you have to do is go south about two hours in Bogota to run into extreme poverty, right? And then when you go to like the little towns, like a lot of Colombia is in dire poverty, right? Yeah. And, no, I've been in. I've been all over Mexico and uh, places like that. Right, and absolutely. And there are places in this world that. They, I mean, having said that, there are rich-ish places in. Oh, of course, you know, Mexico City right. and, and, I, Mon- and Monterey. And I think this is the point. There are places in this world that don't call themselves communists. They don't call themselves socialists. But uh, when you look at some of the Saudi, like the the Saudi countries, they actually have a an economy that gives stipends to every you know citizen out of all the petroleum money that's socialism right and and the well but the the ruling class is exorbitantly wealthy and the overall country is very very well off and and it's because they have a richness of resources right they have uh, something that everyone in the world wants so they pay a lot of money for it and so they can do that right and so the 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 thing is that I wanted to make this point because we also, like you said, embargoed that country for decades, you know, and so it's, it's not, we cannot conclude it's like, oh yeah, of course, of course they're in abject poverty because they're communists. It's like, no, 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 no. There's a lot of poverty in capitalist countries. There's a lot of riches in countries that are very socialist. Yeah. Cuba is really no different than Florida. Yeah. The, the climate is, or at least Southern Florida, the the climate is similar. The resources, I, I'm guessing, are similar. The crop varieties yeah. you can have are similar. The difference between uh, the United States and Cuba and other Latin American countries is the history of where it came from, yeah. like every step of the way. The United States had uh, the benefit of very rich colonists coming you know, from uh, England and, and other places like that, right. and proceeded to uh, construct a political and a societal system that exploited slave labor or yeah. indentured servants or Native American land. And plantations in other countries. <laughs> and plantations in other countries. Yeah. And what didn't happen was that the poor rose up and killed all the rich people. Right. Uh, what happened was the rich people stayed in power and over hundreds of years slowly incorporated the lower classes into uh, slight power. And so you have this, uh, the society in which uh, that, you know, relatively remained stable. And then you added the fact that uh, the amount of resources in the United States, I mean, Jiminy crickets. It's like, we have a ton of oil too. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, like we're, we're like, what are we, you know, we're just like, I don't know, one of the fourth or something producers or something. Yeah. We have a lot of oil. I don't remember the statistics, but anyway, um, the land, the crops, the, the wood, the fish, the fresh water, the, you know, the space. Well, the and the density, like we have, I know it looks like we have very dense population because when you go to New York, it's highly populated. God, no. But, but we have a low density of population compared to the, the land. Right. I've driven all, I've, I've taken road trips all the way you know, from Seattle to uh-huh. Key West. And the one gestalt that you definitely <laughs> walk away with is this country is desolate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've driven all the I've driven from the southern tip of Nevada to the northern tip. Uh, and boy, there you really realize it. Yeah. No one lives in this country. <laughs> like they live in very small zones, you know. Right. And uh, yeah, it was like as soon as I left Spokane, I didn't really see any major like pockets of population until I got to Kansas city, Missouri. Right. <laughs> you know, it was just like from Spokane to Kansas city, which is like, I don't know, half the country at least. Yeah. It's just like farms and two people. Right. You know? And it's not in accessible regions like the Amazon, you know, or um, the, the Sahara desert, you know? Right. <laughs> so then you look at Latin American countries and it's a different history. You have a uh, you have colonists who are trying to exploit in a in a non living way. They didn't yeah. they didn't want to come here and live the way that the English colonists came. They went to rape and pillage. They wanted they wanted to go back home. Yep. They wanted to extract and go home, and uh, also slaves and and this kind of thing. And then uh, they ended up. Um, not, I mean, well, fill in the gaps. You know more about this. Yeah, I mean, so it depends on the country, but like in Latin America, there were rebellions that ended up succeeding against Spain and Portugal by the wealthy local born still Europeans. And in a few countries, you had more of a popular uprising here or there, like in Bolivia and things like this, uh, or you had sub pockets. But in most countries, what you ended up was with still a ruling class of, of pretty elite minority and uh, guerrilla movements of disenfranchised, super upset, uh, poor, you know, people. <laughs> right. So is that one of the factors is like in a lot of the Latin American countries based on the history, it's like you have these extreme uh, concentrations of power and wealth and this and this necessitates a guerrilla movement against them yeah and it's just constant um kind of cycling that yeah. is still continuing today i mean right. you just look at venezuela for example yeah and in most cases the guerrillas haven't been successful or when they are there's just another there's another yes. there's another they right. just elect another dictator or something right. and and there's this um constant uh kind of upheaval and unrest and an inability for economic stability that's right and investment right it's like, well, why should I invest as an outsider or as an insider if the regime is just going to change over yeah. and I'm going to get killed or something, yeah, yeah. you know? Uh, so that just creates this um, cycle of non-economic development, essentially, yeah. right? I mean, is that – are we talking out of our ass? Or uh, we- I'm sure to some actual PhDs in the subject matter, yeah. yes. But, I mean, I'm just talking about from a combination of having lived in a Latin American country slash – Having read and well, I mean, I learned a lot of history about 
the country there, but also more recently, I've in the last decade, I've read a lot more than I ever knew actually probably about that history. And, uh, and it's actually this year, I don't know why, but this year I got really interested in the, the conquistadors and, and I started, cause you descend from conquistadors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a hundred, a hundred percent. No, it's like 90, high nineties. <laughs> um, what's so the I, other percentage? I, I don't remember. I got to go look at it again. Or it, it was also, I, I think I took it. A little too early because nowadays when I talk to people, they get so much more details than what I had. Which so, one did you do? The twenty three and, and me. But go back. I, I, I can. I, can I go and? Yeah. I can do more. No, no, no. They're continually updating. Oh, I can recheck yeah. my results. Like actually, I got. Oh wow. So they're continually narrowing down. Okay. So originally, so for my Japanese side, it was clear. It's like your your dad is a hundred percent Japanese. Uh huh. For my mom's side, it was the the region of of genetics that I was generally mm-hmm. from. <laughs> so she's one-fourth Swedish, so they narrowed that down. But then she's three-fourths, you know, northwestern Europe. So it's like all of the British Isles and, oh, okay. and, and Normandy and France and that kind of thing. Well, just recently, they updated, you know, their ability to narrow it down. And they narrowed it down to uh, she's three-fourths... Um, uh, British, but actually more specifically, Eastern Great Britain and I- and Ireland. Wow! So you have like Welsh and Scotland. Okay, you know, I'm going to go back and take a look. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and they so, do, and they also run tests, you know, like genetic diseases and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, I, my my meta point was just that uh, it sucks how much poverty you you witness that is there. And that that is not, sadly, not uncommon throughout a lot of, well, the world, definitely Latin America. Right. Yeah. So anyone out there, if you know more about this topic, let me know. I'm, I'm interested in the, because yeah. it is an interesting phenomenon to look at the Americas and to look at Canada, to look at uh, United States, to look at, and then you look at Mexico and Central America and, right. and Latin America, South America, and you just see like this pretty big difference but resources similar so and especially in the caribbean when you look at that there's actually uh you know uh guns germs and steel you know that jared what's his face um he did a whole like analysis on the dominican republic and haiti so the dominican republic and haiti are on the same island Mm -hmm. and there's just this line right down the middle and the left side is is Haiti, and the right yeah, side's Dominican yeah. Republic, right? Some I can't remember which one. And on and Haiti is doing way worse yeah. than the Dominican Republic. Disaster. And it's all based on slight differences in policy, uh, and often in in what he was saying was differences in environmental policy. Yeah. So in Haiti, they were less cons- conser- they less conserved the forests, which right. resulted in you know runoff and you know the whole uh-huh. system kind of broke down and when Dominican Republic they they have they, like he even says and I don't know if this is true but if you look at a satellite like right down the middle of of the country there's a forest on one side and not a forest on the oh, other man. because of policy and yeah. and then you see different different eco, you know economies of course Dominican Republic isn't doing amazing but it's doing a lot better By than Haiti yeah. but anyway yeah I really worry about uh, uh, an earthquake hitting Havana because, uh, oh, man, I just can't imagine anyone living through that. Like the whole Yikes. city would come crumbling down. If, if Haiti, 
uh, was anything like uh, Cuba in, right. this, in this way. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that so many people oh, man. would have died, yeah. Um, and to hear about like Puerto Rico, that the floods yep, and yep, everything, yep. like it really, so that's the, that's the other thing I just want to say is like, I've known intellectually about poverty. Yeah. Of course I have, you know, it's, it, you hear about it all the time. Um, I know about poverty in Seattle. I wor- I've worked with extremely poor uh, people in Seattle, immigrants other and otherwise. I've been, I used to do in-home therapy. I used to go to the projects and, mm-hmm. and work with people in in those settings and you know intimately i know these situations i would be in a a project home a ethiopian immigrant family and the only thing they had in that house was this ornate tea set and they would they would they would make me tea every time i came over because that was their big thing that's their thing but they had no tv no couch you know nothing Nothing. it's just like because you know they just couldn't afford it um so you know i've at least intellectually or in somewhat uh, firsthand seen it. But after going to Havana, I now have a deep sense of what poverty really is, you know, like what it feels like. Like I was talking with people uh, because I was really curious about what it's really like economically for people. So this one guy, he, he's actually in the national ballet and he's traveled all over the world. He's a Cuban guy. Um, and we met up with him and he showed us around. He actually sold me these cigars. Mm-hmm. So he got us like a discount or something. Cause the, cause so he pays local prices ah, I see. and we buy it from him. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, he was telling me that he earns $40 a month, a month, a month. And he loves being in the ballet because he travels all over the world. He's been everywhere, China, all over Europe, $40 a month. And he's so happy to travel. He loves the one reason, main reason why he's in the ballet is he's like, well, because when I travel, I get $40 a day. Oh, wow. But still 40 bucks a day. Yeah. Well, because you couldn't survive out abroad at $40 a month. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But he saves that money uh-huh. and he brings it home. And then he then and, he feels like he's wealthy at home. Yeah. <laughs> and he could, and he was dressed more like a, yeah. like an American would dress, you know, like right. nicer clothes and this kind of stuff. I mean, 30X his normal salary. <laughs> That's crazy. Right. <laughs> and he had his own car, which was extremely rare right. to have your own car. Guess how much this car cost? And it was, it this car in Seattle, it was a used car, I'm guessing would go for 50 bucks. Like it was one of the shittiest cars. But, you know, in yeah. Cuba, it was uh, just an average car. Um, how much do you think this car cost? In dollars? Yeah, American dollars. I mean, $25, no, uh, 500 bucks. No, it's the opposite, 15000 so oh because cars are so rare cuz they you know they're oh cut off God. they're cut off so to buy a car is like it's like buying a house wow. like in the United States we we have we That's pump crazy. we pump out cars by the millions yeah. every every year they get they don't have that they don't have like a car manufacturing situation That's so crazy. a car has to come to the island do you know on yeah. a ship and and China isn't going to sell the car cheaply to Cuba, you know oh. what I mean? So, at least from what I understand. So anyway, he has to pay fifteen grand. So imagine how many forty dollar checks from the ballet no, traveling. That's up, inconceivable. He would have to save to buy his own car. 
Anyway, can't so, you get a you know can't you get a one percent loan from the local bank? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, there was this woman, a young woman, I was talking with, twenty seven years old. Jesus. She has a, a seven year old child, uh-huh. and her mother, who's our age, who has breast cancer, is dying, and she. So they have they're communists, so they have socialist um, medical care. Yeah, but if you want good medical care, you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't know if it was black market or like it was extras that you could pay for. Right. But she couldn't afford it uh, on her salary. All of her much. So she worked, you know, sixty hours a week. That was the other thing. Like, there's no anyway. I don't know if she worked sixty hours a week, but anyway, she worked a lot. And all of her paycheck went towards food for her, her kid, her younger brother, who was still a teenager and living at home, and her dying mother. So she's supporting her mom, yeah. her seven-year-old child, and her younger brother. Mm. She has to pay for their food. Yeah. And she can't afford any extra money to actually pay for medical attention for her mom. I mean, you know, the stress of her mom dying, right? right? Young from something, I don't know, but I would suspect if she were in the States and she had caught it early enough, she could have been treated, you mm-hmm. know, to die at 47 from breast cancer in the United States is, is not very, rare, yeah. yeah, not very common. So, so I'm just listening to her. So it took me, so at first when I'm talking, and this is the case with all, so this is the, so this is the, another sort of gestalt I got from Cuba is I would talk to people. People would come up to me on the street and be like, Hey, where are you from? And I'd yeah. be like, U.S. You're the, Oh, cause Americans are kind of rare, you know, mm. they, if they see me there, they think, right. I could be from anywhere, you know, cause lots of people travel to so they Cuba. speak English. Well, first they would speak Spanish to me. Uh-huh. Uh, it was similar to Colombia in that, uh, of the people rarely who did speak English, they spoke very little. Okay. Which I'm finding that I'm regretting not taking Spanish in, <laughs> in high school. <laughs> but anyway, um, so a lot of people would come up to me and at first they're just like, so, you know, you're here in, yeah. in Havana, you like it? And I'd be like, yeah, it's great. It's great. And they're like, yeah, Cuba is wonderful. The people are great. The music, the food, you know, uh, we, everyone's out all night long. You know, it's like the yeah. art, you know, every, they talk about it. And then I would sort of ask more questions and, and they'd sort of slow down a little bit. Uh-huh. And then I'd eventually, you know, I, I think they realize, oh, I guess I can be honest with this guy. And they start telling me like, yeah, there's no work. It's really um, hard. Like it's 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 too hot for me. <sighs> like I don't like how hot it is. Yeah. Um I can't leave. I I want to leave and they would always end with the same phrase. Cuba is shit. Oh. Isn't that break your heart? Yeah. They just like Cuba is shit. And like this one guy he comes up to me off the street. We're chatting. And, you know, he gets to that point. He's like, yeah, Cuba is shit. And he's, and he's, he's like, you know, when do you fly back to, to the States? And I'm like, oh, a couple of days. And he's like, he was like, man, I, I don't know how he phrased it, but he essentially said I would kill to like yeah. fly to the United States. And he's like, if I, he's like, if I ever make it to the United States, I'm never coming back. Yeah. And he also, and he, he did this sort of like, um, this sort of little dance. He's like, I would work so hard. Yeah. He's like, if I got there, I would work so hard and I would be, I would, I would be a rich guy. Right. Which to him means minimum wage. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And, 
but he has like an apartment yeah. and and he can afford yeah. things that he could never afford in right. Cuba. And it really just makes you realize it's like, yeah, of course people are undocumented in the United States. Yeah. The, the, the benefits are so great compared to the consequences yeah. getting caught by ice, getting, you know, imprisoned, um, is like, a, sh- a t- after talking to these people, I'm realizing like that they would, they would gladly go to prison for five years on the chance mm-hmm. to, to make this happen. You know, right. um, in, in Colombia, it was the same thing. You know, I was talking with a guy from Venezuela who had fled, to Bogota and was my Uber driver. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how he just wishes he can stay in Bogota. Right. He, he's can't, and he was like, I don't even dream about going to the United States. Right. I just want to stay here. And to me in a couple of days, I just got on a plane and went back. Yeah. Right. No questions fucking asked. Well, like I'm sure you've heard right now, there is this large migration out of Honduras of, of families fearing for their lives and they, they they got stopped at the Guatemala border because they you know they didn't want to let them through and they finally let them through and the only thing we can say up here is oh they better not come all the way up here because we're not letting them through you know it's like okay fine I know I know you you don't want everyone coming here but what are we doing? Like, are we doing, is that all we're doing? We just say no and we, is that, that's the end of our interaction with the world. <laughs> I mean, there are organizations, Doctors Without Borders, you know, there's things. Uh, micro loans. I, I, I give charity to uh, one of the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a micro loan thing that helps people out, women specifically, to, you know, with their business, you know, ventures. So there's things that are, that government and, private sector are doing but i just couldn't help thinking all these people need is like stability yeah and a little bit of uh, a jump start yeah and they are dying to work yeah. they're dying to create a society that is not even anything close to the united states right. but it but way better than what they're in yeah and they will stop coming over the border because they'll be like, well, I don't know. Things are stable. I'm not going to yeah. die today. And, you know, I have a job and I, I have prospects and I like my life. Right. People in these situations are in such dire straits. It's like they're willing to die on the road or die in the sea or, or rot away in a prison because that's better yeah. than what they're living right now. I don't know what our government could or should do. You know, whenever they try to do things, they tend to fuck it up, really. I just feel like as a world, we should... I mean, one of the things that I do to fall asleep at night... Do you you have a hard time falling asleep at night sometimes? No, I... You tend to fall asleep right away? I actually... I mean, my, my issue is that I'll fall asleep a little too early, like I was trying to watch a show or something and I'll fall asleep and then I'll, I'll wake up cause I need to go to bed cause I'm like on the couch and then I'll be like, Oh, now that I'm awake, I should do more shit. And then I'm up too late. But oh. generally I don't, I have an easy time falling asleep. Well, sometimes I have a little bit of a, like, uh-huh. you know, it takes me five, 10 minutes. And one of the things that I do is I do a number of different mental exercises, but one of them that I do is I did this last night actually 
is I imagine I have some kind of superpower where I can grab every leader uh-huh. from around the world and, and, and force them to, to work on a problem. And maybe even intellectuals, like I get a bunch of uh-huh. economics experts from around the world. And I put them all in a room and I say, until you figure out a solution, you can't get out. Yeah. And it put them in Cuba. You can't, you can't leave Cuba. Yeah, you. Yeah. But there's no internet. They probably have to look <laughs> up the internet. And, you know, so f- what I did last night was like, figure out poverty in Latin America, you know, have a policy. This right. is, this might take 50 years, but have a fucking direction. You know what I mean? Right. Like stop fucking around. Like there's a way everyone can win is the thing. You can even have a capitalistic uh, society, even with people at the top with lots of money and still have the lower ranks not be in abject poverty, you know? Like the United States, for example. We we have a drastic uh, income disparity, and yet our poor people are kings and queens compared to people in Havana, Cuba, you know? I mean, I don't want to discount poverty in the United States for sure, but, but anyway, so last few things about Havana. Very safe. I... And people talked about that all the time. It's like, they're just, and I, don't, I couldn't tell if that was like, because the, the communist government or the government, I don't know if they call themselves communists anymore, but anyway, yeah. the government is so uh, harsh with their criminal penalties. Right. I barely saw any police officers, by the way. And the, Latin American police officers, like Mexican police officers, and I think police officers that I saw in, you know, sort of beat cops, the guys that kind of hang out yeah. in the corners. They always look like just kids with a stick. <laughs> like when you look at American cops, yeah. they look like military dudes. Yeah. They have they they sometimes have bulletproof jackets on. Right. They're often kind of husky. They've got like guns and shotguns and right. <laughs> radi- radios and, you know, ammo and, you know, leather boots and, you know, they've got all, helmets, <laughs> you know, they've got all this stuff. The guys in that I've seen in Mexico and um in Cuba they just look like they're dressed up in like a uh, like a Halloween a bad Halloween costume. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of them didn't even have guns. You know, they're just they just have like a stick. And anyway, so uh but very safe um and uh I thought that was great. Like I never no pickpocketing, no muggings, no bad things at all. That's really interesting. That is very different. Right, cuz in Bogota, it's very unsafe. There are bad, that sense, bad yeah. places, right? Not that you, I mean, you didn't really have any bad experiences, did you? No. And, and we were in the northern part of the city, so it's a lot better, but yeah. Yeah, the part of the city I was in in Bogota, I felt very safe. Yeah. In the middle of the night, I would walk around yeah. my neighborhood and I felt fine. Um, lots of Fidel and Che and Camillo stuff. Camillo? Uh, Camillo, so... You know, they have like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's like Fidel, Che, and Camillo. So everyone knows Fidel Castro. Yeah, and I know everyone knows Che Guevara. But in who the hell is Camillo? Camillo is like the third. He's like he's like uh, he's like the Ringo of the group. Um, what about me? I'm Camillo. I saw Che's hat in a museum, and Camillo's hat, by the way. Uh, just a huge library of um, uh, history in this museum about how the United States has been fucking over Cuba for 50 years. I can imagine. Um, And some claims that were obviously, you know, true that I've actually heard about, um, but uh, some claims seemed 
uh, dubious, like biological warfare. Like there were claims that that the United States had unleashed a hemorrhagic fever on the populace of Cuba to try to kill every Cuban or something. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it, you know, didn't sound very plausible. Did you hear about the, uh, wasn't it in Cuba, the Cuban embassy where that, that sound wave attack happened? Uh, was Was this a long time ago? No, this was like a year ago or something. Oh, I don't know. So I can't remember what it was, but, uh, there was uh, a whole. Everyone in the embassy became sick. Oh, the, like a brown note kind of thing. Yeah, like that kind of. I don't know if it was that kind of sick, but it was like they, they were sick. And uh, the speculation was that someone had tested or someone had done uh, like uh, some sort of uh, sound wave or ultrasound sound attack or something like that. Huh. I can't remember. Uh, obviously, a Bay of Pigs incident. If you're familiar, a Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, several assassination attempts on Fidel. I mean, that, you know, I remember learning about that, about CIA, CIA trying to kill Fidel Castro and all that kind of stuff. And when you're down there and, and you're in this museum, you're just like, what the fuck, U.S.? Like, yeah. Cuba has a government. Let yeah. it fucking be. Well, but it was it was the whole communism stuff, right? Okay. But, like, and I understand, like, maybe trying to influence things a little bit, but, like, literal assassination attempts. Yeah. Uh, like he had a poison cigar, uh, things that are confirmed. Yeah. I think maybe even records in the CIA can, I don't know, but like, there's just like, and, and how the, the other thing is just how bungling, I mean, the, like people talk about the Illuminati and conspiracy right, right, right. theories. And I'm just like, just look at examples right. of how the CIA have right. fucked up things. If the C, if, if like conspiracies were that good, Fidel would have been gone a long time ago. We're talking about human beings, you know, just bumbling their way through life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they actually had a plane, a part of a plane that was shot down during the Bay of Pigs mm. in the museum. They actually had an engine of the U-2 spy plane. Oh, that, yeah. I've seen it. You posted that picture. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, this is their pride and glory. It's like <laughs> yeah. at the museum, there's all these uh, artifacts of the United States that were shot down. It's amazing that they were able to repel the the invasion. Bay of Pigs? Yeah. Well, it was a bunch of expatriate Cubans that uh, were trained by the CIA. Oh. And the operation was, I think, discovered. And so I see. Th- they were, the Cuban government was waiting. And the operation had all these kind of problems with it. Like they weren't supported enough, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it was pretty embarrassing for... <laughs> The CIA to be a part of an invasion. The other thing is like, you know, you know about Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. So if you don't know out there, you've probably heard of Guantanamo. Uh, The United States has a military base in Cuba. Yeah. I've, I've known about this. I've always thought it was a little weird. And I, what in my head, I thought, well, we must have some sort of treaty with Cuba or something like nope. <laughs> some sort of old treaty where we worked out some agreement with the Russians. Yeah, nope. <laughs> where, where we where we get a little sort of section, you know, an island or something. No, we uh, essentially invaded a long time ago and just occupied. Right, and they didn't have the ability to kick us out, and the Soviets didn't have enough clout or something or reason to go to bat for that. And so we have a, not only do we have like 
a possession of land in Cuba, but we have a a military base yeah. uh, with just a fence around it, you right. know, in in Cuba. So this would be the same as if North Korea had a military base in Seattle. Imagine if like a neighborhood of, <laughs> of Seattle has a North Korean military was base. a North Korean <laughs> military base yeah. that we obviously didn't want there, but it's there, but it's there and they have more powerful military. We can't do anything about it. Right. That's fucking bizarre. That's crazy. <laughs> now, I understand why we would have a military base on say Puerto Rico. Cause it's a, it's a, a territory. It. Yeah, it's a territory, but Cuba yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. And we send uh prisoners there who are being treated unconstitutionally <laughs> because <laughs> we don't want to have them in the United States right. because if they're in the United States then they have to be treated well, right? right? That's the whole point, right? So they're in this sort of no man's land of Guantanamo. It's just very strange. Um yeah, it and it's just strange. like no wonder that everyone hates us around the world and it's no wonder that no one trusts us. You know, with with fifty years of like trying yeah. to uh, do all this stupid shit to Fidel and all over the rest of Latin America. Right, right, right. It's just like, my God, what's wrong with us? And it's pretty interesting that uh, it's still, you know, the government's still around since 1959. It, you know, Fidel managed to sustain power in the face of the United States. Yeah. That's uh, pretty unique, right? Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. Because there's so many other Latin American countries that didn't fare as well against U.S. influence. Yeah. Um, yeah, music was great. Lots of cats and dogs that I couldn't tell if they were feral or not. <laughs> uh, people tended to treat them better than other countries treat their animals. Okay. Like Lots of cats? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cats and dogs. All the dogs looked the same. They were that sort of... Mutt but like a particular kind of mutt, it was sort of like... Um, I don't know, a smallish dog anyway. Very few stores and the stores that were around had almost nothing. It like, it, like oh. think of communist country where like one whole, sh one whole aisle of just like vegetable oil and yeah. it's, and it's the same brand. Right. 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 And then another aisle of like beer, yeah. you know, from like Vietnam or something. Yeah. Um, what else do I say? I mean, we're, we're there. Are there wealthy people, local wealthy people? Yes. So this tour guide, again, a guy who just walked up to me and said, hey, would you like a tour of Vanna? I'm like, okay. I'm like, he's like, I'm like, how much? He's like, eh, $30. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, 30 bucks, you know, yeah. for, for my own private taxi <laughs> driver yeah. and my own, a, a separate guy who is the, the, the tour guide. Yeah. But he took me to Miramar, I think it's called which actually the houses there looked like a sort of like a bad neighborhood in LA or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but actual homes with mm -hmm. fences and landscaping and stuff. And he said that in that neighborhood is where government officials, uh, right. they're rich <laughs> and the mob. So there's right. a mob apparently in, in Cuba and they all live in that neighborhood, but it was still wasn't rich, rich, you know, right. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there are some people who happen to be extremely rich, you know, but they're probably in the government, you know? Right. 
but yeah, the vast, vast majority of people were um, extremely, extremely poor. So the gestalt that I'll say, or the overall thing I'll say about Cuba about the, is the people. Uh, everyone's super nice, very polite, um, very forgiving, um, happy on the outside. The ones that I managed to talk to told me they were very sad on the inside. I mean, to me, imagine, I can't imagine this because I've never had to. I guess you maybe did when you were 10 or something, but maybe you're too young to feel these feelings. I can't imagine feeling like if only I lived in this other border area, then I could live my true life. Yeah. But because I live in this border area, I will never be able to live the life that I want to live. I just can't, uh, that feeling of just like being trapped. Yeah. You know, I can go anywhere in the world. Right. And then come home. I I can go anywhere and come home. And these people can't even leave their, right. Their zone, you know, it's, yeah, no, and even I, if they could, they wouldn't have the money to do so. You know, I mean, I certainly dreamed about, I, I I did dream about living in the U.S. again since I had lived here when I was young, uh, but it was never a feeling of impossibility for me. So I mean, my mom lived here, and you had lived here, and I had visited, and I had lived here. But it, so the most it was, and I certainly felt. Uh, it's certainly towards the late '80s when every night the news was more and more horrible. I certainly felt that feeling of like, uh, this is a mad, like this is an irreparable mess, right? And and I thought, and in fact, that's why I ended up leaving, right? Is because the opportunity presented itself, and in spite of having to leave everything and everyone, I'm like, yep, <laughs> I'll take it. But but it wasn't something where I was, I'm stuck in life, and I have no, you know, I, I that that I can't relate to. That seems horrible. Can people in Bogota travel more readily to the United States and other places? Not that- to the United States. It's hard to get a visa. Oh. Uh, in fact, there's whole songs and uh, there's a famous song by Juan Luis Guerra about uh, dreaming of a visa. You know, it's like this song about like dreaming about getting a visa to the States. Yeah. But you can certainly travel to other countries in Latin America for, in or Europe, you know. Yeah, Bogota seemed more metropolitan more yeah. free or something yeah. more wealthy yeah there, there is a lot of concentrated wealth in colombia oh so the last thing i'll say so i just want to say cuban people wonderful fun open party all night my god one night <laughs> i was uh, my huber my friend he's like so you probably don't know what time it is just take a guess what time <laughs> what time do you think it is and i'm like uh, midnight, maybe one. And he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you what time it is. It's six in the morning. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was astounded because, uh, you know, you kind of gauge your energy or time by people around you, you know? And like, is pe- it like when you had arrived or something? Like, or- No, it was like, um, when we, so we, so you go out at, so one, you have dinner late and then yeah. You go back home, you have a drink, and then you then think it, out. you think about going out at midnight. Yeah, um, and so uh, yeah, they're just they're they they're just up all night, uh, and uh, and yeah, I was like six. I got to go home, 
And, and, and you guys were at like a dance club or something? Yeah, yeah. a lot. There's, there's tons of... Of course, everyone's of dancing. <laughs> dance clubs and music clubs and blah, blah, blah. Wow. Young people dressed up to the nines, blah, blah, blah. But um, so last thing I'll say is uh, on my last day uh, that, you know, that morning that I was had to go number two in that nice hotel, yeah, I suddenly realized that uh, my sense of invincibility had caught up with me. Oh, no. <laughs> so in, in, in Cuba or in Colombia, I ate, I ate everything. I drank. So the water in Bogota is pristine. Yeah. Uh, but I ate raw fish in Cuba, in Colombia. Yeah, I, right. yeah. I ate street food. Yeah. I ate meats and lamb and beef and chicken and pork. Right. And I, you know, I what ate everything. Did you not eat? <laughs> yeah. Like vegetables, yes. you know, blah, blah, And, and I've had other trips where there was some worry of, yes. you know, and, and I did fine. And so in Cuba, there's like, well, maybe avoid the water, yeah. but maybe it won't be so bad. And so, um, so I just, you know, proceeded to eat and drink everything that uh -huh. I could, including, you know, fruit from a street car, mm -hmm. uh, street food. Uh, -oh. uh, and then one night I had, uh, I had ice cubes and I thought, well, that's probably not good, but I don't know. I'll be fine. Um, yeah. So diarrhea happened. Oh, <laughs> I haven't had Ouch. I haven't had this kind of diarrhea, and I so it's um what day is it? it's Thursday and so I got I started to I got this on Sunday uh -huh. so Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday it's five days now five full days and I I still have massive diarrhea. Have you been taking electrolytes and all that? Stuff? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I feel fine. But oh my, gosh. but that first that first day. Uh, I slowly got worse and worse and worse. I, I got a fever. It's Sunday, so nothing's open. No pharmacy. <gasps> no pharmacy is open. Oh, terrible. And there's no internet, so I can't. You can't do anything. I can't Google what I have. Were you shivering? No, I was just really hot. Okay. Um, but mainly it was just like lots of diarrhea and and oh. and confusion and um. Oh. That and, sounds horrible. And being tired and stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, so I just stayed in bed while my friends went out without me, which was fine. <laughs> but they took care of me. Like they, because they, they had to take, so they, my Chris Huber actually found a um, tourist hospital that happened to be open on Sunday. Oh, wow. He goes out there and they sell medications out of the package. You know, they don't sell you the box. They sell you like oh, no. they sell you like some of the box. Okay. So I got medication with no explanation of even what it was. Oh no. And like no like no dosage, no yeah. you know, what is this? And so it was like a it was like a you know, one of those <laughs> anti diarrhea things anyway. Yeah. So I took that. It didn't really work. <laughs> um and uh my friends are like, Okay, you need to you need to I, I was told you need to drink this apple juice apple juice and you need to drink sprite so they got me apple okay, juice sprite they got they got me apple juice and sprite i get back to the states and everyone i'm talking to is just like apple juice you do not need to be drinking no. apple juice <laughs> apple juice can in can in can cause you diarrhea yeah it can it can uh, um, irritate your, your yeah diet. and like sugar and da 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 like and, and <laughs> it was just funny like the the looks in everyone's faces like they gave you what you yeah. know and so it's actually a miracle I made it, made it through it. And then the next day we were flying out. And just before we get into the cab to go to the airport, uh -huh. I have emergency <gasps> diarrhea. Oh, Meaning that... You have to go, 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 go. 
Well, I didn't even really make it. Oh no. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. So so, That's so I so I'm thinking I am not gonna be near a a toilet, you know, for periods of time. Yeah. If this happens again, what just happened to me right now, I'm going to be on the plane or right. I'm going to be walking to the airport. What am I going to do? Like, and cause oh. this was like, this was like every 10 minutes. This is my worst nightmare. Oh you know what gosh. I mean? Like, like I would drink a, you know, a can of Sprite and it would go out and it would 10 minutes later. It's just like yeah. explosive, you know, like, I think your sphincter can only hold on for so long. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, so... Because your body's like, I don't know what you put in here, but we got to get everything out, 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 out. Right. <laughs> so I pack all the clothes I can possibly pack, assuming that I'm going to crap my pants. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to have to I, change and, and change. I'm going to have to throw away my clothes and yeah. put on and put on some random right. old, like old laundry that I've designated as laundry, but now I have to reuse, yeah. you know what I mean? Long story short, I, that never happened. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> as soon as I walked in my house, though, it happened though. It was oh, like, my yeah. body was like, you know, I, I went many times. I went yeah, every yeah. 10 minutes. I it was like, <sighs> but yeah, it's, oh, it's still pretty I'm so bad. Sorry, man. That, that is, I, the last time I can remember having, uh, no, it must have happened after that. But the the one really really bad one I remember I've talked about is um, when I went in two thousand one to London, and remember I mentioned that I had eaten something in the airport in Bogota, and and I shouldn't have, uh-huh. and I got sick. By the time I was arriving at Miami, I was feeling it, and then I was on the flight for eight hours. And it was like the worst time of my life. Just you're going from Bogota to London, Bogota, Miami, London, and so for eight hours in that flight, shivering, constant diarrhea, throwing up, like delirious, with no men. They, apparently, they don't carry medicine in these airplanes. I'm like, yeah. well, do you have nothing for me? It was horrible, horrible. Um, that's the last time I remember being so sick from food. Were you just sitting in the bathroom the whole time? Pretty like. I actually, it's it was so bad that the the person sitting next to me ended up getting sick. Out of like, I think out of proximity bias or something. Like, like threw up. Well, I meaning that I noticed they started going to the bathroom a lot too, uh. and eventually, I think they moved. Like it was so bad. I, I'm like, and 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 it got to the point where I was just sitting there in my own little, like shivering and just like in my own little world. Yeah. Wondering if I was gonna live through this thing. Yeah. Ugh. I've never been so happy to enter my house. Yeah. And to be in my own bathroom. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> like it was just like back home. Oh. My uh, one. There's a toilet seat. Yeah. There's toilet paper. Yeah. And uh, to have uh, the internet to tell me like uh, this is what you should be eating yeah, and drinking. Yes. Oh my god. Um, you know, in Colombia they have a. They might have it here too. So what they would do is they would toast rice. And then make water out of like uh, kind of like a tea of toasted rice. Yeah, so rice helps to solidify yeah. stool. Um, I learned that from the internet. Uh, I think bananas and and applesauce yeah. or something. Anyway, so I think that the toasted rice in the water lets off potassium and and a little bit of other stuff. And yeah, yeah. Um, but now 
I'm adding, to, so I have a travel packing list, you know, I have okay. a, that I always like check off whenever I leave town, I always like diapers. <laughs> well, you know, maybe, maybe, <laughs> but man, if they sold diapers in, in Cuba, which oh, you would have just bought them all, <laughs> I would have bought them, but, uh, bringing Pepto-Bismol. Oh, right. Right, right. Right. And, and then, and electrolyte packets. Yep. Yep. Because you don't, I don't know, I guess. I never think of this, but man, right. it's true. Right. Because like, if you're in a foreign country, one, you might not know how to access it, or two, you might not have access yeah. to it. And so, um, yeah. That's crazy. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I, I can't wait until uh, that ends, you know? Yeah. Like, I, like in the middle of us podcasting, I had to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, what's the final word on Cuba, Berto? Well, it, it it sounds pretty tough. That some of it sounds uh, interesting and and colorful, like the art and the music and the parties. Uh, it does sound tough. It sounds familiar in some ways to things I've seen growing up. Um, I can't say I want to visit, but I do say that man, I want to do more thinking about what I can do personally. Obviously through voting, but what else can I do? What can we do to help these? other parts of the world that are so unbalanced compared to us. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we can do is vote for politicians who support policies of, of real economic development yeah. in these other countries. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, sometimes that might mean tax incentives of just like, look, GE, Yeah. if you put a plant in Cuba, here's a tax incentive yep. because not because we're about the bottom line and the money, but because we're it about and, yeah. we're about uh, not only altruism, but also you know rise the rising tide you know rises all boats or whatever right, they right. say. When when Cuba suffers, uh, when Latin America suffers, uh, we suffer because they end up coming up here because yeah. they have nowhere else to go, and then you know it's not that bad of a thing because our society can absorb them easily. I mean, all you got to do is look at our fucking economy. Yeah, you know we have what? T- t- how many millions of undocumented people? And yeah. and we have we have a robust economy that's right. that's doing gangbusters. It's like I think we're okay with the immigration thing, <laughs> yeah. you know. But um, they took our gerbs, and yet we still have a ton of gerbs, you know. But anyway. Uh, we could be doing it selfishly too, for sure. Um, and yeah, I just, I just feel so hopeless about it, honestly. So I'll say this is that if I hadn't got sick and I wasn't a snowflake, (laughs) um, I would have walked away from Cuba saying that was an amazing time. Okay. Fun country, great food, great dancing, you know, great art, great people. Can't, can't wait to go back. Great service. You know what I mean? I, (laughs) I, I can't wait. Like, and the people I was with, that's what they, that's because they've been so many times. Right. That's what they, that's to them. It's like Hawaii. That's, yeah. that's cheap. You know, it's like cheap Hawaii to them. Right. But since I'm such a snowflake, I'm just looking around and I'm just like, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. Like this doesn't feel good. Right, There's right, something right. really disjointed about this. And, um, and I, and so like, I didn't want to save money, you know, I was just yeah. like trying to buy as many things as, as I could just to yeah. spread money around, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself. Uh, por qué? Porque tú lo mereces. 